Just about there, all right. Dads, you carry a huge title of being a father. And uh, it's a privilege, it's an honor, but it's also a responsibility. And, and we as dads know that we can't do this without God. So aren't you grateful for the greatest father of all? Amen. <clears throat> well, today we're continuing on um, because we, we realize that there, is, there are things God's doing. We're watching in the earth that we live in um, just massive amounts of sin. But the Bible says where sin abounds. Anybody know the rest of that scripture? Grace much more abounds. That's where no matter what we see going on in the world around us, we know God's at work. We may not see him at work. We may see more of the work of the enemy. But realize whenever we see the work of the enemy, God is there to overwhelm what the enemy is doing and overcome uh, in our lives. Amen. Um, but we know that there's a revival. We're approaching this revival, this, this influx of, of souls. There, the Bible talks about in the last days how there's going to be such a revival that so many people are going to be getting saved. But it requires a change, an adjustment on our part because we're supposed to be going from glory to glory. And, and in going from glory to glory, uh, as glorious as you are right now, there's still more glory for, for each of us to experience and the people around us to experience. And uh, we, we, we learn from Jesus' prayer that revival, the, the revival that we're, we're looking forward to begins in unity. There's a unity that happens, and, and that's a reconnection with God for us and then a reconnection with each other. And in that, the world's going to see and believe in who Jesus is. But unity requires love. And we uh, are going to go through a few scriptures just again to, to keep our focus, keep our, our uh, anchor where it needs to be. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, it says, above all these things, we're to be clothed with love, uh, which binds us together in perfect harmony. The NIV says in perfect unity. Unity comes from love. And the reason why unity comes from love, it has to have love because if we don't walk in love, if we don't live our lives by the love of God, we're not talking about, you know, the I love ice cream kind of love. We're talking about the God so loved the world kind of love that made a decision to act a certain way and, and to connect in a certain way no matter what anybody else did, that kind of love, the selfless, sacrificial uh, love that's unconditional, that kind of love is what keeps us united. And it keeps us united because we found out in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. When it says love covers a multitude of sin, that word covers means to surround, encase, envelop. And it's about the sins that are committed against you uh, and the, the sins that you commit against others. How many of you know we sin against one another? Okay, if you don't, I just want you to know it happens. It happens to all of us. It happens to us where people do things that God doesn't want done to us and we do things to other people that he doesn't want us doing to them. And if we don't walk in love, then those very things are going to become barriers. They're going to become walls. They're going to become uh, affronts and, and um, divisions. And we know a house divided against itself won't stand. 
But this, this love covers a multitude of sin. It begins to envelop and encase whatever that irritation or that injury is uh, to cause it to become just like an oyster does with a, uh, a pearl. It becomes something beautiful and valuable. And what we encase those irritations, those injuries with, we find out in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. It says this. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Now, I just want you to close your eyes for a second. And, and I want to read that again and just listen and, and take stock in, in each of our lives. Are these things actively being revealed through us towards those around us. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now you can open your eyes. But in that moment as you heard those words, I think we all come to that place where we say, God, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where... I want to be, and I'm not where I can be. And so in that moment, it's not to feel defeated or that we've fallen short. It's to recognize that what we are looking to attain to, where we're looking to go, and what we're looking to live our lives by is impossible without God. But the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. This is an inside job. Okay, it's not a, us trying to, it's us relying on God, releasing ourselves to God and allowing God to have his way in a greater degree than ever before so that these characteristics of love, just like we see in, in 1 Corinthians, that, that love doesn't demand its own way, it doesn't count as suffered wrong, all of those things that, that it reveals is something that God is able to do in us when we give ourselves to God instead of giving ourselves to what we normally would do. Because we know how we react when somebody is irritating to us or injures us. We tend to want to go back at them in the same kind. But God has a new and living way for you and me to walk in. And as we do, what seemed to be impossible becomes second nature to us because we're living out of the supernatural ability of God. And so these are the things that, that we begin to surround those irritations and injuries with. When somebody injures us or irritates us, we become compassionate with them. We become kind to them and humble with them and, and gentle and patient and forgiving. An another scripture that tells us about this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 in the New Living Translation. It says this, always be humble and gentle. And be patient. Those are three characteristics that we just read out of Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. With each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. How many of you know somebody with faults? <laughs> yeah, that's a kind of a, a crazy question, but it helps us recognize if we never knew anybody else, we'd still know somebody with faults because we have them. And, and remember how we deal with other people's faults is a seed sown. How we sow is what we reap. And I, I, I know, 
and I become more convicted as time goes on that I need the mercy of God. And that's really what compassion is. Compassion is mercy. It's, it's a consideration. It's a care for someone else. And, and when we realize that we're not perfect and nobody else is, we can't expect from somebody else what we can't give. And we need to give to, what, to other people what we want in return because as we sow, we reap. And so we need, to, we need to be considerate of other people and, and patient and kind and all those characteristics that we have, we have read about already. Because if we don't, we're going to go back to what we were like before we came to Christ. And there should be a real difference, shouldn't there? I think I'm in the right place. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's this transformation that happens. What, what we used to be like, we're not like anymore. We're radically different. We're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, but they keep trying to come back, don't they? And that's where we have to be intentional about how we live our life, what we do. Instead of just reacting, reacting the way we used to react, now we choose intentionally to follow the ways of God and allow the love of God to fill our hearts, flood our hearts, overflow our lives, and begin to impact other people instead of the flesh that used to rule us. And we would just give back in kind. Now we overcome evil with good with a love that never, never fails. But if we don't, then we can fall back into what Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says. And it says this, in whatever you do, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. How many of you know that it is so easy to just get back into that selfish mode? It just comes back and it fits so comfortably and, and so easily for us to live that way in selfishness and pride, considering ourselves more important and more valuable, sometimes smarter than the people around us, and yet we're not more valuable than anybody. Who did Jesus die for? All people. So that's the price that God put on all of us. It's crazy for us to put a lesser price on another human being if God didn't. Hello? Because he's the one that knows the exact value and the exact value for every human being, no matter what they do, what they've done, what they're doing, how they live their lives. They're equal in value in God's eyes to the value of Jesus. And that's because God loves them and his love is unconditional and so should our love be. But that's a, that's a tall order, and that's where we have to rely on God, trust in God to be able to do this, because without God, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is possible for you. This is possible for me. But understand, it's not familiar to us yet. It, it will become more familiar. It will become more second nature to us. But it's got to be intentional. And as the days grow darker... We're going to have more opportunities to walk in love. But it says, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. Be humble and honor others more than yourself. Honor the good people. All people. Yeah. Look for, for the value in every person. If nothing else, when you look at another human being, whose image are they made in? 
God's. And we can find value in that. And we need to find value in that no matter what they're doing. Amen? So with all of that, we're going we're gonna to just, again, look at what pride does, how it affects us. And then we're going to see an example that, that reveals to us what humility looks like, what pride can rob us of, and how we need to be intentional about what we do. But before we do, we're just going to pray. So if you just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, right now I thank you for your presence. Lord, there's no place we can go that you're not there. And Father, you are here with us. You're here wherever we are, whatever we do, wherever we go. But Father, we don't always turn to you to receive from you, but today we do. Father, we request, you, your word says we have not because we ask not. We request you to impart to us your life, your love. Impact our lives. Take us and help us to be transformed going from glory to glory. Help us to let go of the things that used to be a part of our lives that are not what you have and help us to embrace and put on, clothe ourselves with the love that you have for us to live. It's life-giving love. And so, Father, today we thank you for the life that you're going to give to your people here. And as they go from here, that they'll be able to bring and give to those they come in contact with. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word as it goes forth, that it'll bring forth healing, liberty, and freedom to be able to fulfill your will. Father, it would bring illumination and revelation. Father, we thank you for the life that you'll impart here that will continue on through our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. So we found out about what pride does and how it affects us in Obadiah chapter 1, verse 3. It tells us about the deception that comes from pride. The pride of your heart has deceived you. And, and the problem with deception is it's deceiving, right? We're not aware of it. When, when somebody deceives you, you aren't initially aware of it. And when we deceive ourselves, we're even more in the dark. But when that pride rises up, all of a sudden, we start to operate in deception. Well, what's, what's that deception look like? It looks like we feel superior, smarter, we have a better idea, we can do better than somebody else, we deserve more than other people. That's that deception of pride. And it happens I don't know about you, but it happens in my life before I, many times I'm even aware of it. You know, I've told you many times that I struggle at the grocery store or any store where I have to stand in line. And the reason why I struggle is because of pride. I don't want to have to wait. My time is valuable, which in essence is me saying my time is more valuable than the person with the cart that's full in the 15-item line. And then I get prideful about the fact that I can count better than they can. <laughs> instead of extending grace, instead of extending mercy and compassion and kindness, you know, I don't know what that person's gone through. I don't know what their week's been like. I don't know what it was like for them just to get to the grocery store. Cut them some slack. But in that moment, I don't want to because I'm thinking about me more than I'm thinking about them. And one of the translations says, put yourself 
aside long enough to let somebody else get ahead. You know, the problem with self is it always wants to climb to the top and to the front. And we're supposed to crucify ourselves. The problem with trying to crucify ourselves is our self keeps crawling off the cross. And we've got to keep putting ourselves back on there. Because if we'll die to ourselves, then and only then can we live to, for God. And that's what it's going to take. But it's not anything anybody's going to be able to do for us except we do it for ourselves. We have to crucify ourselves. The pride of your heart has deceived you. And then in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, it, it again, it reveals that proud people think they're better than others. That's a lot of times why we get angry with other people. Well, they should have known better. Obviously, if you think they should have known better, you come from the perspective of, I know better, why don't they know better? Hello? And we're all in process. Will Rogers said, everybody's ignorant. It's only on different subjects. You may be an expert in an area, but that is a real temptation for us to look down on somebody else. I don't know what it is that anyone has that they think they're better than another person. I know in my life what has helped me is recognizing what the scripture says. What is it that you have that you weren't given? And if you were given it, why do you boast about it? Just remember, whatever advantage, whatever opportunity, whatever blessing you have, it came from God. And it was by the grace of God. And that's where we need to realize the only difference between any of us is how God's chosen to work in our lives. And it's not because of us, it's because of him. Amen? And so with all these things, we're going to begin to look at uh, a situation in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5. Now we're going to look through this and we're going to dissect it and, and evaluate it and see about a man by the name of Naaman. Now his name means radiant and beautiful. Okay? And Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria and was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. All right? So right here, we're, we're setting the stage. This is Naaman. He is the commander of the Syrian army put there by the king. And the king has great value to him. He says he's a great and honorable man. Now, understand this. That this is not normal. Okay? The reason why is most kings were highly suspicious of their military commanders because they were the ones that were most likely to take over in a coup, overthrowing the king. But this relationship, Naaman was well thought of. He was, had power, he had honor, and uh, he had all sorts of victories. Now, how many of you know when you start to have victory upon victory and people are honoring you, it's real easy to get into pride, right? And, and yet we see that this is Naaman's life and he could easily be pumped up with pride. Uh, and it says 
that he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. You know, this, this kind of took the bottom out of Naaman's life. He, he was accomplished. He was thought of well. He had accomplished great victories, but he was a leper. And, and Bible scholars tell us that leprosy was a type and shadow of sin. It was used in the Bible to indicate sin. And there's some similarities. Leprosy had a death sentence associated with us. Sin brings death, right? There's another aspect. One of the aspects of what happens with, with some kinds of leprosy is it destroys the nerves. You lose your ability to feel. Sin destroys our ability to feel the way God has for us to feel. And this was Naaman's life. And I can imagine Naaman being a commander. He's got the most beautiful armor, but it covers this destructive work of leprosy. It goes on to say, and the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Now, this is what armies do. They go out, they conquer, they pillage, they bring back spoils. And, and it says right here that they were doing that. They were going into Israel. They were, they were taking things from Israel, including people. And they brought back this young girl uh, who became a slave to Naaman's wife. This was just the way life was done. Now, we don't even know this little girl's name, but she is a key figure in this story. And if, just put yourself in her place. An invading army comes into, into your country, into your city, and grabs you and pulls you out from your family, and then enslaves you in the conquering army's commander's household, how are you going to feel? Everybody going to feel okay with that? No. Nobody's going to feel good about that at all. And in this situation, we see that she was a young girl from the land of Israel. That word young is a very specific word. And, and as I was studying, I was looking these things up. There are times that I feel just really directed by God to look up certain words. And this word does mean young. It means small, but it also means insignificant and unimportant. This is how she was viewed. She was insignificant and unimportant. How many of you know that wasn't the way God viewed her? How many of you aren't sure? You know, it's real easy for us at times to think, you know, these bad things are happening. God's overlooked me. Anybody ever feel that way? God, you forgot where I am. You forgot what's going on. You just don't seem to care. Naaman and his household may have looked at her that way, but God didn't. God had a plan for her life in spite of what had gone on. Some people say, well, how can bad things happen to, to God's people? Because you're living in a fallen world. There's a real enemy, and he does all sorts of things. And that's why Romans 8, 28, we can hold on to. God will work all things for 
good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, there are sometimes higher purposes than what you and I are aware of at the time. And God will work these things for good. They don't start out for good. If they started out for good, he wouldn't have to work them for good. Is that true? So they don't start out as good, but they become good. They become valuable. They become beautiful. They become priceless just like the pearl because that individual chose to walk in love and cover this sin in love. This seemingly unimportant girl chose to continue to walk in love. And we don't even know her name. How do we know? Well, first of all, she was from where? Israel. She remembered the God of Israel. She remembered the things that, that he is, that he's loved, that he is a healer, that he is all these things. Even in the midst of what she had gone through, she had not completely just uh, disconnected with her past. And here she is. She's in a foreign country. She's been ripped out of her family, out of her country. She's now a slave in her captor's household. And it goes on to say in verse 3, she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Does anybody find that a little puzzling, a little difficult? Because here she is, nothing good has been done to her, and yet how does she look at her her mistress's husband, the one she's serving. What's she want for him? She wants good for him. How can she want good for a man that has done all these things to her? Because she's choosing to remember her God, walk in love, begin to cover all this, surround all this that has happened to her. Is she compassionate and merciful? Yeah. Is she kind? Yeah. Is she humble? Yeah. Gentle, patient, forgiving? Yeah, all these characteristics that we, we realize this is what love does. This is how love keeps us connected to God and to his people, to his work, to his will, to his ways. And so she's living this out in a situation that would be very easy not to live that way. Wouldn't it be really easy for her to say, you know what? Naaman deserves leprosy. His whole household deserves leprosy. All the Syrians deserve leprosy because they've killed Israelis. They've, they've taken me and others like me. They've enslaved people. How many of you know that would fit real easy, real comfortably, real quickly? Yes? And she's not that way because she remembers. She, she stays connected with her roots. With No matter what happens to her, they're not going to change what's going on in her. 
Folks, you and I live in a world that is constantly bombarding us. The enemy's coming at us. But what happens to us should not change what happens in us. If we are a new and living creation, new creation in Christ, we should maintain that walk of love. Because that's how we were born. We were born of God and God is love. Don't let the world squeeze that love out of you to the point where it's non-existent. Don't let the flesh rise up. Just because somebody else's sin doesn't mean you and I sin. We need to overcome evil with good. That love never fails. And so she says, if only my master were with the prophet in Samaria for he would heal him. Again, she's thinking back, my God's a healer. And if, if my master could get to the prophet of my God, his life would change. How many times do we encounter people that are ugly to us and mean to us and, and aggressive or whatever, and we're not thinking about if they could only get to God, the God that I know, the God who is loved. We're thinking, man, if they'd just get away from me. That's, that's many times my first thought, just find somebody else to bother. Instead of me thinking, you know what? This person needs to know Jesus. This person needs to know the love of God, the healing of God. And you know what? It's not somebody else's assignment. If that person is before me and in my life and irritating or injuring me, then it's an assignment God's given me. And it's an opportunity God's given you. These are opportunities. They look like obstacles. They look like oppositions. But they are opportunities for us to be able to show this person what they need not what they should get. And whether it changes them in that moment before our eyes or not, know this, that that love that you show that person in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness, we begin to surround what's being done to us with love, with these characteristics all of a sudden it's having an impact on them, but it's also having an impact on us. What's happening is what has been irritating and injuring us is becoming something that is beautiful and valuable. Because when you and I come in contact with situations like this again, we're going to be able to reference back. Just like David did, the lion and the bear that God gave me, he'll give this giant to me. He was able to overcome those other obstacles, oppositions, by the grace of God. You and I overcome these irritations and injuries by the grace and love of God. And if we can do it with this one, we can do it with the next one. And how many of you know with David, it was ever-increasing challenges. 
In your life, it's going to be the same way. In my life, it's going to be the same way. We're going to go from glory to glory. But how many of you know the enemy doesn't take that just as, oh, well, I guess I've got to let him go. He's going to oppose you. I, I, I think it's Joyce Meyer says, new levels, new devils. Right? And, and as you break through, don't think the enemy's just going to say, oh, well. He's going to try even harder to discourage you and take you down. And you've got to realize, hey, you know what? The God that helped me here is the God that's still with me here and can help me go through this too. Help me love when I don't want to love. Because love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. And when Jesus, in the most pain that any of us could ever comprehend, not just physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm telling you, when, when I do things that, in hindsight, I look back and I say, oh, are you kidding me? Why did I do that? I want somebody in the moment that I'm doing it, that I don't realize what I'm doing, say, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'm telling you, I'm surrounded by people that do that for me. My wife does that for me. My friends do that for me. You do that for me. I'm so grateful. And, and as I realize that people are, are being that way to me, it motivates me even more to want to be that way for others because of what it's done in my life. God has been so good to me, but he's been so good to me through the people around me, and I am so grateful. Does that mean they're perfect? Heck no. <laughs> but I'm grateful. I am so grateful. So she's saying, if he could just get there, I know he's going to be healed. What faith, what love, what willingness to forgive I don't know any of us. And I, I, I confess I don't know what your life is like. But I don't know anybody who's had a life quite as hard as this. And maybe you have. And if you have, you can still do this. Because we all can do this. And it goes on in verse 4 to say this. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus says a girl who is from the land of Israel. Now, in this moment, Naaman is the big guy. He's the head honcho, and he's got this little no-name, no-nothing servant saying, hey, if you would just go, you'll be healed. How many of you know he could have said, you're out of your mind. You're, you're going where you don't belong, butt out. Would it have been easy for Naaman to consider doing that? Absolutely. Who, who's this little slave girl that's telling me I ought to go to Israel? We just conquered them. We took you back from them. Why would I want to go back there? And yet Naaman in this moment is either really desperate or showing some humility. And we don't know. We don't know why. But he listens. And then he humbly goes to the king. So he realizes that he's in authority, but he's under authority. 
That's, that's a characteristic of humility. Know where God's placed you. Because all authority that's in authority is there by God's doing. And there's nobody that's ever at the top because God's always at the top. Amen? And so it says the king of Syria said, go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So the king of Syria says, okay, Naaman, you're telling me that this no-name nobody has told you and you're going to act on it, but you're coming to me and I'm supporting you, which is supporting her. So this little girl has now impacted the commander of all the troops of Syria and the king. The commander, Naaman, has this idea that if this girl is right, I'm going to get healed. He's told the king that this little girl says, if I can get to Israel and I can get to the prophet, then I'll be healed. That's a witness to two mighty powerful people from a no-named nobody. You know, all of us struggle at times feeling like, you know, we're, we're, we just don't have everything everybody else has. We're, we're just not known like everybody else. God knows you. God has a plan for you. Listen, please listen. Close your eyes. God has a plan for you to change not just your family, not just your neighborhood, not just your city, not just your state, to change your world. Open your eyes. God has for you to change your world. Question is, will you be available? And something seemingly as simple as, her keeping her heart right in a very bad situation, living that love, that life-giving love that would say to the woman that she's a slave to, you know what, I'm so concerned about your husband. If he could just get to the prophet, he'd be healed. That kind of witness doesn't seem to go real far, but now it's beginning to transform many people. Going on in verse 6, it says this. I think. Okay. Then he brought the letter of the king uh, to the king of Israel, which said, now remember, Syria's been coming into Israel, conquering Israel, killing Israelis, has been capturing Israelis, taking them back as slaves. And now the king of Israel gets this letter from the king of Syria. And the king of Syria writes, now be advised, when this letter comes to you, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to open that up on a Monday morning? You know, you've, you've, had, you've had a weekend and it's been a great weekend and all of a sudden your biggest adversary says, I'm sending you my favorite servant and I want you to heal him. What would you do? Well, this is what the king of Israel does. 
He read the letter, tore his clothes, said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So he's now realizing in his own mind, he is fabricating this is a setup. How many times do we get suspicious about what people are doing? And he's reading into this, but is he right? Is this a setup? No, it's not. It's Naaman's heard something. Naaman's told the king something. The king, Naaman is believing it because he's taking action on it. Faith without works is dead. So there's a faith work going on. The king has heard from Naaman who heard from the little girl. Now the king is believing Naaman and actually believing the little girl. And now he's sending this letter because he's saying, you know what? She said he'd be healed. I'm expecting, he didn't say the king needed to heal him, but he's expecting him to be healed. And so it was, verse 8, when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now, Elisha says this because Elisha's focus is in the king of Syria. It's not Naaman and his healing. It's not the marauding troops of Syria that come in and out. Who's Elisha's focus on? God, God. His focus is on God. Just like the little Israeli girl, the slave girl, her focus was on God. I'm telling you right now, this is the fight of our life. You're going to be exposed to all sorts of things. You've got to keep your focus right. We've got to keep our focus on God, on the truth of his word, on his unchanging character and ways. If he's healed once, he can heal Every time. And so in this moment, he says, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So he says, okay, send him to me. Now, how many of you know he probably heard all about Naaman up to this point? All right. There's a lot going on and Naaman didn't just show up on a donkey. How many of you know the commander of, of Syria's army isn't going to just kind of come in the back door? Going on in verse 9, it says this. And Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, I think we skipped over something. Hang on. Let me check my notes. Can we go back to verse 5? I didn't read that. Verse 5. Sorry, John. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. Hmm. Well, I'm going to read verse 5 out of my whatever translation I have. Okay. 
It says, then the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him. Now listen, this is what it says he took with him. Ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Now, when you hear that, that doesn't sound like a lot. But listen, ten talents of silver is 750 pounds of silver. You think he put that in his pocket? And at the rate of $28 an ounce, which is somewhat current, that would be $336,000 in silver. Probably had to take a few wagons, right? Obviously a number of horses. Then it says 6,000 shekels of, sil of gold, 150 pounds of gold. Now, today's value, about $2,000 an ounce, that would be equal to $4,800,000. And then 10 complete outfits of clothes. Why? I don't know. I think the rest of it would have been enough. So that's, that's over $5 million. But the scholars, biblical scholars, say that this, in today's value, actual value, what it was then to now, would be... $750 million. Now, do you think that Naaman just took this stuff and went on his way, him and a few horses and, and, and wagons? And do you think with all the robbers that were out there, he might have taken an armed escort? So think about this. Naaman shows up at the king's door and he's got this huge entourage. He's got all this wealth. He's got all these armed guards. And he hands the king this letter. And no wonder the king's a little, little concerned. And then he goes to Elisha's house. Didn't say Elisha's palace. Right? What if somebody showed up at your house with all these wagons of wealth this armed guard that came along with them, this massive entourage, do you think it would set you up to come out and greet the guy? You think? Well, that's what he thought. That's exactly what Elisha, or, uh, Naaman thought. Now, we see the humility of Naaman that he listened to a little slave girl that had no name that he was willing to submit and go to the king that was over him. But how many of you know you can operate in humility in a moment and then get quickly into pride? It's not like you, you always see it coming. Sometimes it just rises up and it's there. And, and going back to, sorry, John, I keep jumping around. I'm sorry about that. Uh, verse, verse, starting in verse 9, it says, Then Naaman went with his horses, chariot, doesn't say wagons, but I'm sure they were there. I can't imagine a few horses and a chariot carrying all that stuff. He stood at a, the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent who? A what? A messenger. Look at me, look at all my stuff. And sends a messenger. And, and do we hear any discourse between 
Naaman and the messenger? Is there any verbiage that we see that's going on? No, because Elisha knows what's going on. He's prayed. He's already sought God. He does what God has for him to do. He sends a messenger out, and the messenger says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Is that what he wanted to hear? Yes and no. Did he want to hear that he was going to be clean? Yes. But he didn't want to hear it in just that many words. He wanted a production. But it says Naaman became furious and went away. And why? They give us this. Indeed, he said to myself, he will surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands all over the place, and heal the leprosy. Isn't that funny? Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that just like us? Don't we figure out how God needs to do it? Don't we even tell God sometimes how he needs to do it? And the moment we think we ought to tell how God, he, how God ought to do it and when God ought to do it and who God ought to do it through, how many of you know that's pride rising up? Because the moment you think you need to tell or I think I need to tell God anything, I am mistaken. And so are you. It's just that elevation that happens all of a sudden. We, we create a whole scenario. It's, it's not just in these things. It's in the way God does our life. What this, uh, that ought to happen, this person ought to do, I ought to, I ought to have this job. That's pride rising up. And it's beginning to cause us to be deceived. And where there's deception, there's loss. There's loss. He wasn't greeted the way he thought he ought to be greeted. Sometimes we aren't greeted. We aren't received. We aren't recognized. Oh, really? I went to a meeting at my pastor's church, Pastor Jonathan's. And uh, I, was, I was really, I had prayed and said, God, I really need to receive from you. I, I need to hear from you. You need to help me recognize the things that you, you want me to address and work on. And, and uh, I was kind of like Naaman, this is what you need to do, God. And got there and... I was noticing that a lot of other pastors were getting preferential seating. And it just pierced my heart. I thought, you know, I'm not that important. And what was happening was God was exposing pride in me. 
It wasn't that I thought I wasn't that important. I thought I was at least equal or more important than them. And I should get a nice seat up in front too. And when I was told, you know, there's a seat back there. Boy, it just was. And as I sat back there and nobody knew it, I had a smile on my face. I'm praising God. But inside there is this whole war going on. This isn't fair. It's not right. It's, and the Lord said, this is what you need to take care of. And I wanted them to do something else. But what I found out was this is what he wanted me to do and he wanted us to do and what I needed more than I needed anything else. I needed this exposed and dealt with. Not that it doesn't rise up again. But I'm telling you, I walked out of those meetings and it did something for me that freed me up that when I now go anyplace, it doesn't matter. Because wherever I am, God sees me. And, and whether anybody else sees me or not, it doesn't matter. And that kind of dying, you still have to keep crucifying that stuff. But I'm telling you, it frees you up. And Naaman was about to get robbed because of his pride. And we don't have time to go into this, the rest of this today, but we will next week. We see in this story, this, this situation that occurred, a no-named, unrecognized, unelevated, I don't know if that's a word or not, but this overlooked person who was willing to live that love and walk in that compassion and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness and forgiveness is impacting people. And nobody knows it yet. And then there's another person who's humble enough to be obedient to God no matter what it looks like to anybody else. Elisha's willing to be obedient to God, send his messenger to give the word that God gave him, no matter what it looks like the repercussions might be. I just want you to close your eyes. Our God is a God of freedom. But he says, don't use that freedom as an occasion for the flesh, but to serve God and to serve one another. Father, I pray right now for every one of your children here. I pray for you to expose the pride in our lives. That, Father, we can be partnering with you to be able to crucify that part and be willing, Father, to allow your love to fill and flood our hearts and our lives. Our actions and our attitudes would be saturated with your love. That, Father, we would live a life for the affirmation and the award from only one, and that's you. Live our lives to honor you and glorify you. Live our lives in humility and in love of you. Father, this is a real painful thing in our lives to first be aware and acknowledge that pride.
but also died to it so that we can now be filled with your love and your life. Father, for all the injuries that the people here have experienced, all the irritations by others, I pray that that love would begin to surround all those things. Work it out for good. Cause those irritations, those injuries to become priceless and valuable and beautiful and, and what build them to continue to live that life of love. But Father, as we do, we'd be more connected with you, more unified in the body of Christ and being a greater witness to the people around us of who Jesus really is. Not just words that we speak, but a life that we live. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?